Hello, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm Brandon Wood. And I'm Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the walls and the fences and the confines of institutional religion. So thank you for joining us for another episode. This is episode 45 of the podcast. It's the 20th episode of our second season, and our get- we got a repeat guest, Joe. Yeah, repeat yeah. Repeat guest. Yeah. Our guest is none other than Jim Nolan. Uh, great. I mean, if you listen to the first one on police reform, this episode, um, we go into more the spiritual side and more more spirit. His his uh, his view of faith and um, his deconstruction, if you can really call that. Um, but for those that don't know, Jim is a professor of sociology um, at West Virginia University. And he is doing some great work there, but man, Joe, this one, I, this one was like, I, I got to tap out. My brain hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it gets, it gets deep. It does get deep in some places, but I, I mean, I, you know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have Jim back. Um, you know, he, he was just on a couple episodes ago and we wanted to have him back because the, the things that he was saying about police reform, um, you know, was, was all so well thought out and so well researched. Um, but, but I think, it's it's important for folks to know like where that comes from. And so this conversation that we had with Jim, where we kind of get into, you know, kind of the spiritual side of uh, what motivates him to do that kind of work is every bit as fascinating as kind of the theories, you know, that he presented uh, last time. So, um, so, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to pause now and go back to episode 43 and listen to, to Jim's first one, you can, um, but but I think both episodes kind of stand on yeah, their own really well. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Yeah, this one's a great conversation. Yeah. So, well, let's get right to it then. Please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to Jim Nolan. And I think a lot of people are happy there. I mean, they're, they 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 listen. They look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the truth. I don't need to go anywhere else. But if you but if you do push on and you do sort of link with the deep some of the deeper truth, and you look back, it doesn't mean that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are wrong. It just means that the interpretation of those words are different. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. This is kind of part two, I, I guess you would call it part two. Joe, is that what you think we would we would? Call I, it? You know, it, it's a it's not a sequel, um, but it's. Yeah, we're I not going to call this. I don't a know comeback. what we're going to call it. We're just glad to have Jim Nolan back. Yeah, right? Jim, Jim. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast again. Golf class, Jim Nolan. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad to be here with you guys. Um, so, if you for the listener, um, or if a, if this is your first time catching us. There is a um, an episode, Joe. You can fill in the number. I forget what number it was, but we did a uh, a few episodes back with Jim Nolan, and we talked about police reform um, and the efforts he's doing there, and um, his thinking on around police reform. Which I don't know about you, Joe, but for me, I, it 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 shook me because I was thinking. I guess like what most people would think of in police reform and, and Jim just brought a whole fresh perspective to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so helpful to, to just think a little bit further beyond kind of what we've been, um, been consuming lately in that, in that area. So, yeah. So if you haven't listened to that, you can go listen to it, but you don't need to pause the episode because this is not, this is a continuation, but it's not a continuation because when we first sought out to talk to Jim, 
Um, it was police reform, and then uh, his this idea of Temple of Truth and Spiral Dynamics. So we knew it was either going to be a long, long interview <laughs> that we would we would cut up into two, or it would just be two interviews. So this is kind of like this, not even necessarily tied to police reform, but just talking about spirituality in general. Um, so I'm really excited about this. Uh, I was able to because Jim is is close to me. Sorry, Joe. No, um, well, I, I, the, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're introducing <laughs> me to these awesome people. So. <laughs> well, we we went to Joe and Throw. Shout out to Joe and Throw. Uh, was that a couple weeks ago, yeah, uh, Jim? That we got mm-hmm. to. Yeah, we got to sit down and talk more about. Um, it was actually after the podcast, a week or so after the podcast. So that was really, uh, we had a really good time. Um, so I feel like. Every time I get to talk with Jim, these conversations are just golden and full of things that I then process with, um, you know, months, years, <laughs> years later. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on you, Jim. <laughs> I'm feeling it too. <laughs> um, so anyway, so let's just go in and start it off. Um, you have this idea, and, and you can correct me, I believe it's your idea, your diagram, um, this, this thing called the Temple of Truth. Would you like to explain it for the listener and then just kind of dive into your thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean, I this all came about when, you know, when I moved to Fairmont and uh, my wife was uh, Presbyterian. And so we we uh, joined the First Presbyterian Church and there was uh, we had an opportunity to do uh, some some Bible study on, on uh, Sunday, Sunday morning. And um, and I got to the point where, you know, the interpretations people were saying about this uh, were, to me, they were, uh, I'm going to be blunt, they were bogus. It, it was just this repeated narrative, uh, you know, and so each each time we read it, had a reading, it was like it reinvigorated us to believe the narrative that we already knew. And it was almost like we were choosing to a new understanding, but we're actually choosing the understanding that we already had. And so I, you know, I was trying to, you know, push for another way of thinking about it. And so I started thinking about this, um, because I don't want to throw away scriptures. You know, it's a way of knowing something. And I, and so um, I came up, I had this idea about this temple of truth, where this, if you walk up to this huge building and say it's circular, and there's multiple doors all the way around, and there's a there's a Christianity door and a philosophy door and a uh, mathematics door, uh, philosophy, you know, sociology, psychology. And uh, when you go in, in the outer rooms, you're given the tools for to explore and you're encouraged to go deeper. But some people get stuck in these outer rooms and they, they believe that they're here is the truth. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are, that's that's the truth. And, um, and they never leave these outer rooms. But if you go beyond the outer rooms, go into the inner rooms, you'd suddenly bump into Buddhism and you bump into mathematics and you bump into philosophy. And the deeper you go, the more merged they are. And, uh, and I found that uh, myself. And I found that as, you know, if you go in through the Christian door, you, you see sociology and you see um, physics. And, you, you know, all these things begin to blend, but you have to let go of the, uh, the narrative and the way you interpret the outer rooms. Now, the, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things for me, it wasn't, it's not so much that it just 
what you learn, you should go forward. But if you go into the inner room, you begin to find truth. You can then look backwards and you could go back to the scriptures and you say, am I interpreting it right? If it's completely strange, if you say, well, this isn't physics, this isn't psychology, this is, this is something different, then you're, you're, you're just not interpreting it right. But you could go into the Christian, uh, the, uh, like the, um, the Gospels, and the Gospels align very, very closely with Buddhism, very closely with physics, if you interpret it the correct way, or you interpret it differently, not the correct way, differently. Yeah. Now, we were talking about this, and um, the first thought that comes to my mind is, like I always say, uh, the Pete Holmes quote, there's still religion, click clacking in my brain, is um, how we, in my old worldview, how we would, um, we would debunk other religions who are very similar to ours. Like, for instance, all st- all c- majority of religions have a, a flood story. Right. If you look back in their history, they all of them have some sort of a flood story that we would always say, well, well, the devil just copycats Christianity. <laughs> yeah. And, and so all these false religions are just copycats of the real one. Um, you know, so every time you talk about this, that's the first thing in my mind uh, uh, that I, that I think about, like, oh, well, they, dude, duh, they're just copycats. No wonder you would see Buddhism and, and Christianity. They're just a copycat, right? Um, but I will say when I started deconstructing, and, of course, I came from a religion that was very steeped in prosperity gospel. Um, if you're following God's will, no harm will come to you. Um, that kind of that started creeping in towards the end of my my run in that faith system. And I remember when I started deconstructing, I, I was hit with massive amounts of anxiety because that fake loss of control, or not control, the fake loss of security wasn't there anymore. And now it was like, oh, well, anything can happen. And how do I, you know, how do I process this? But I remember um, when I found out, when I heard the first tenet of Buddhism, that life is suffering, I was like, oh, that's beautiful to me. I don't know why, because <laughs> it shouldn't be. Like, you know, <laughs> that's saying like, you know, we're going to suffer. But it, I think for me, it gave me like, I think exactly what you said, and I'm not there yet, but I'm, but that allowed me to look back. Rather than throw out Scripture, it allowed me to look back and say, oh, wait, Scripture even says that. God says it will rain on the just and the unjust. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, I don't have any hope of security just because I follow one particular teaching. But anyways, so when you first, I was deconstructing, you and I sat down, and you explained this temple of truth to me. I remember it being just... It just blew up the door because I think Jesus was the same way. I think Jesus was taking them past, taking them from a room they were in and trying to get them to go past that room into a deeper truth. Um, And then this sinks right up to Fowler's model of spiritual development. Almost, it's almost like stage three thinking, meaning you're stuck in stage three, you're stuck in Christianity's right, has all the answers. Everything is mapped out for me, black and white. There is no gray. And then once you go past it, you realize, oh, my gosh, there's so much gray. But there's so much truth in other places besides just the door I went in. Mm -hmm. 
And, and what I think what happens uh, is not, and again, this is not just in religion, but we develop a, um, the th a term is doxa, and it's used, you know, it's not just in sociology, but there's this doxa, this shared understanding of, of things, that the unquestioned in Christianity, that, um, that we, it, it never gets challenged. And then we see uh, something that goes against it. So our truth in Christianity is different than the Baptist or some other denomination in Christianity. And so we have, now we have to explain it. How do we explain it? Hmm. Uh, because it's inconsistent. This is a paradox. Para is against doxa. This goes against doxa. So how do we explain it? We have to. Well, the way we explain it is the devil duplicates. You know, we have to. <laughs> we have to. We have to come up with something. And this is what happens in religion. It's like there's no nobody held accountable for just making stuff up. I mean, the whole the whole spiritual world is. You know, you, you talk to some people and it's about these uh, angels fighting with devils and stuff like that, right? The problems are right in front of us. We could be dealing with these problems if we, if we, could, if we interpreted it correctly. But we don't go back to the interpretation. So the, let me just uh, give you another example. In the Christian um, uh, Gospels, you notice that when Jesus arises from the dead, people don't recognize him. You know, that there is suddenly, you know, and then so the reader is left with, how, do, how am I supposed to understand this? Now, but if you go to, if you go to physics, and I, I'm going to read something here too. This is from uh, Forbes magazine. This is a, 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 a physical scientist. Because, but, but how connected are we? In particular, how many atoms in our bodies were in humans' bodies at some point? Do we share atoms in common with everyone, with everyone who ever lived, with King Cut, Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, George Washington, Jesus? The answer is fascinating. Not only do we have hundreds of billions of atoms that were once in everyone else's bodies, but we have approximately one atom in our body from every breath that every human has ever taken. Meaning that we're still breathing in atoms that Jesus we're, and it's a form of resurrection in a sense. Mm. We're, you know, this is where, again, you leave the outer room and you go into the inner room and you suddenly, you suddenly bump into science. But you can't, you can't continue to hang on to there was a real resurrection, that this, this body formed, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's bigger. I think it's much bigger than that. I think I, that makes me think of something that that I hear Richard Rohr saying a lot, um, and listeners of the podcast know that I, I quote Rohr a good bit. But he, you know, he talks about this idea that um, that resurrection is the observable pattern of everything in reality, yes. and yet we have to create this this individualistic narrative about our disembodied souls somehow for humanity when we can witness resurrection and all of its other forms is so plain for us to see in the natural world. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly it. We're resurrection all the time. And then they, you, so now you bump into Buddhism. Buddhism says, you know, if you see a cloud, you don't say the cloud was born. And if the cloud goes away, you don't see that the cloud died, but the cloud is constantly recreating itself. It goes away. It becomes rain. There's uh, moisture comes back. It's part of a it's part of a process, but the human mind looks at beginning and end, 
And the, the, these are, um, this is the way it works. And we have to explain it in some way. So uh, we think that our, because we feel like I have an individual existence, that I must have uh, a soul. It must be, I must be going someplace afterwards and I'm going to see everybody I ever knew. And it, it's that sort of narrative. Nobody ever, I don't think, many people anyway, many people that I know who are Christian ever think about what, what is that really going to be like? Well, what could that really be like? And it, and it might be, and the way from what I, you know, I think that, you know, science tells us that we're, we, we don't really end. Our energy stays in the universe, our atoms and molecules, they, they get redistributed. You know, we may become a, a, a leaf on a tree someday, or, you know, part of, and people will breathe in uh, our oxygen. In fact, let me um, read another quote real quick from the same science article uh, that I think you'll find interesting related to this. It says, okay, in fact, right now, if you take a deep breath and then exhale, by the time a year goes by, approximately one atom from that breath will wind up in every other person on Earth's lungs at any moment in time. In other words, you probably have approximately one atom from Caesar's last breath in your lungs right now. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that you know this this whole this whole notion of of um, this the temple of truth, um, and I, I'll, we'll post the um, the diagram in our show notes so that people can kind of look because uh, that's helpful to have a visual uh, representation of it. But <clears throat> there, you know, when Brandon was talking about the Fowler's you know theory of spiritual development. And we go from phase three to phase four, you know, and then on to phase five. Um, and we've talked about those things here uh, in some previous episodes. But it seems to me that that, that outer corridor or that outer, you know, court or whatever you want to call it is sort of that phase three space. And then uh, as we go deeper, that's that's what deconstruction generally is, right? That, that movement from the um, the certainty of my belief system that comes from my tribe or whatever begins to get broken down, you know, through a deconstruction kind of process. And then it's when you get past that is when you begin to see these even deeper levels of truth and the relatedness of all of these. It, it, I like the, I like the doors analogy that you have in this, you know, where the, where the folks are coming in from other doors. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I know there's going to be, there's going to be people that come from like, a more fundamentalist background that are their argument is going to be, you know, the many roads to one destination sort of thing that, that so much of fundamentalist Christianity tries to debunk. I, that's not what I see here. Mm. I, I see something well beyond that and much deeper than that. Um, but you have to go through this period of, of unpacking what you've inherited, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, um, knowledge wise or belief wise so that you can get to this deeper area. And if you're not willing to push through that deconstruction process, you're going to be stuck in that outer corridor, you know, the whole time. Right. And I think a lot of people are happy there. I mean, they're, they, 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 listen, they look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this is the truth. I don't need to go anywhere else. But if you, but if you do push on and you do sort of link with the deep, some of the deeper truths and you look back, it doesn't mean that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are wrong. It just means that the interpretation of those words are different. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean, and that, that's, the, that's the thing. And, and the people who are following us, who are coming into Christianity, 
who need some fine tuning, how should we understand these scriptures, will benefit from the people who go before into the deeper rooms and look back and refine the interpretations. Yeah, because it's not, you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that I experienced in my own kind of deconstruction process was it never drove me away from the scriptures. It only drove me deeper into it to understand it better. And and that's exactly what it is. It's that seeing a different interpretation that actually makes more sense, you know, right. once you kind of get there. But you're right. I mean, I do think a lot of people are very comfortable and very, and maybe comfort and control is the reason you know, when you have that sense of comfort and control. Um, one of the questions that came to mind as you were describing all that a minute ago was, you know, when we talk about resurrection and we talk about, you know, going into these deeper areas of truth, um, it, to me, it seems like it's somehow it's all related to our sense of conscience, consciousness, right? And so we have this desire to know that when our physical body expires, that our consciousness, because that's what we think our self is, Mm-hmm. That we we need to know that that's somehow going to survive because that's where our identity lies, and we assume that as human beings we are the only things with consciousness. <laughs> but what what frame of reference do we have for anything but our own? Right. So. Right, and, and that's, that's you know, I think that's exactly it. That the that we're uh, so self centered. I mean, there was a. Um, a scientist wrote one time, if a, if a triangle um, woke up and, and created God, it, God would be a triangle. And I think that this is, you know, we've created God as this, you know, in our and likeness. And so we, we envision a God that is jealous and angry and wants to be worshipped, but also loves us and wants to be saved. These, these stories are so fantastic. And yet, if you again, if you go uh, deeper into this temple and you recognize, you, there's some uh, fundamental truths about resurrection and about uh, you know love and care, and uh, that can be found in in the scriptures. So don't abandon them necessarily. See, that's that's a cool thing, and and I have a hard time just in my own personal journey of of not abandoning. Um, you know, part of me can't look back, but there are moments when I do, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Um, like, you know, Joe, you're talking about scripture, man, that, that word and the idea of like opening a Bible and reading it just gives me the willies. <laughs> Can I say that? Am I young? I'm, I'm, I'm not old enough. To say <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what the millennial version of that would be. Um, um, you're, you're triggered, epic, you're triggered. That's, not, that's, that's, that's what, <laughs> but that's what it yeah, is, 100%. right? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah. Brandon and I've been kind of joking in some of our other conversations that, you know, I thought I went through deconstruction until I experienced it through Brandon's life, you know, as a friend. And I'm like, I, I had Methodist deconstruction, man. That was, you know, but you know, yours, Brandon, and, and you've talked about it, you know, uh, in your other podcast, right. Is the trauma associated. Well, that's where I think, I think the you difference know, that, would be is. We, I, you know, um, we, I found out from our good friend Emily uh, Davy, used to be Stewart's, who was on the yeah. podcast, your podcast and mine, and we need to have her back. Um, that technically, for us all to grow, we all have to go through deconstruction, which that that literally blew my mind because I was thinking deconstruction wasn't for everybody. 
But if you look, I mean, if you follow like growth, like I had to leave my parents and figure out what life would be for me. And that'd be the same idea in the spiritual world. But my deconstruction was also rooted in spiritual abuse and trauma that not everyone else has. So when I was first going through it, I thought deconstruction meant one one thing. And then I started like hearing Joe's deconstruction, other people's deconstruction realized, oh, no, 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 mine was just crazy. <laughs> you know, um, one thing, Jim, that fascinated me about the last episode that uh, you and I spent time on coffee with was, you know, another deconstruction is vocational deconstruction. And that can have roots in spirituality, but like, so my deconstruction was spiritual trauma, deconstruction, and vocational. Um, Joe, yours wasn't decon- uh, uh, vocational, right? Because you, you're still right. a minister. Yours was just the eschatology or your view of the church and words. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Jim, you shared about last episode, like, I would, so I would say, Jim, you had deconstruction, but you also had vocational deconstruction that once your eyes were open, you said, I can no longer be in this profession. I got to... I have to find a profession that lines up with my beliefs, right? So there's all these different examples of deconstruction that we all go through. Um, mm-hmm. Mine just happened to be tied in some some crazy, wild-ass shit that, <laughs> that not everyone <laughs> needs to go through or should go through, or hopefully that gets er- eradicated from this world. You know, we were, um, we were away at Camp, at the camp Lustar this um, past week, and there was a minister there. He was, you know, really a, a, a very uh, bright guy, I think. And uh, he was saying that he, he deals with one of, he's a minister in one of the universities in West Virginia. I won't say which one, but anyway, he, he's, he said that he deals with that kind of trauma a lot. Really? For students coming, coming in who've been uh, taught this version of religion, and it's, it's harmed them. It's, it's harmed them greatly, so. Uh, there is a lot of work to do. Well, you know, and I, I looking at your your uh, temple of truth, like the one that I have the hard hard time with is, in, and I would make a like obviously it'd be the Christianity room, but, but I would I would put like evangelical Christianity door, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that, that one yeah. I'm like, can we just lock that? <laughs> can we shut yeah. it and lock it and let no one? <laughs> but I, yeah. I jokingly say that because I think a lot of people. And I have to be careful because this is my my perspective of it. But I think a lot of people are coming through that door because it has the light show and the fog machine, um, the really hip, good uh, uh, preacher and the rock and roll, you know, worship music. That that is a door that I think would be populated more than, let's say, a Methodist door or a Presbyterian door. Um that because people are coming through that, unfortunately, in the evangelical church, there is a lot of prosperity gospel, um, name and claim it theology, um, a lot of pick up your cross and follow your pastor. You know what I mean? Like a lot of that yeah. stuff, like, um, you know, I want to move to Oregon. Why well, need to submit it to my pastor first and see what he said? You know, all this crazy thing. So I think you know, I have to be careful saying that, but I, I think uh, that's where I think the trauma is. And why, for example, why that pastor you talked to said that is I think a lot of people, because they're going through that evangelical door, unfortunately, there's a lot of trauma attached to the evangelical church. Not saying it's only only to the evangelical church, but I think that has to be a big reason why there's so much of that going on. Yeah, yeah there, Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. No. 
that's okay. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say, because there's so much um, manipulation attached Thank to you. that, yeah, like that there's, word, there's yeah. that, that high level of emotional manipulation that goes with that particular flavor of Christianity. But it, it, as you were saying that, Brandon, it struck me and I'm looking at, at, at the diagram here and I'm wondering, you know, for, for Jim, is that kind of manipulation also associated in some of these other doors and these other oh, rooms, yeah. just oh, in yeah. different ways? Yeah. Is, oh, so yeah. what does that look like, you know, to say, you know, in, as you come in through the psychology room or the biology room, what does that kind of manipulation look like that keeps you stuck in that room and keeps you from going on? in? Well, I mean, so this, I mean, it doesn't seem harmful uh, necessarily, but this is the way it takes uh, form in academic departments, for example, you know, they're, they're, they are um, dedicated to preserving the profession. There's professional organizations that want to pre- preserve the de- profession. And, you know, I would argue that, the, you know, these, each, each of these doors, you know, change metaphors and they're all boats leading to the shore of truth. <laughs> you know, that this is just one way, you know, why, why put so much effort into saving psychology or saving sociology or saving any of these outer rooms, you know, let, let people enter and, uh, and find their way. And but but it does it, it again. I don't, I'm not so sure that it harms people in the same way the evangelical door does. But there's a there's an aspect of self preservation that I need to preserve my doors. I have some. I get some benefit from this particular door. You know. So. Yeah, but it, I think I think every door. I, I, it's not just the evangelical Christian door, or even just the regular Christian door. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, it, it, you know, as, as a sociologist, I, I, I'm interested in your perspective on that that notion of institutional preservation, right? Because that's a sociological function. That, and, and I can't remember where I read this. I, I wish I could remember who to credit for this thought, but it's the idea that that every movement eventually becomes an institution yeah. and then every institution eventually collapses under its own weight, right? <laughs> right. right. Well, yeah. And, and, and you live it through periods of uh, reform. There's, you know, this is, I, I argue, in my book on policing, that this is an age of reform, but not just for policing, in religion and economics and family and institution, that they're not, they're not, they don't serve us anymore in this current form. It's a time to reform, and if you're going to reform these institutions, you have to rethink them, which means rethink some of the fundamentals of, uh, about it, the the narratives that we heard. And I I talked to you at the last program about. The example in policing is we, we've all grown up as police as law enforcement. It's law enforcement, and we think community safety is 
based on the enforcement of laws. But if you look really closely at it, you realize that's not true. That that you know there are better ways to keep places safe, and the police resources are much better served um, d- doing a broader range of things than just locking people up. So if you're going to reform policing or reform religion or reform economic system, we should we should be th- asking the question: How do we benefit from it? And look at the consequences of our action, and not just what's right. And I think in in, in terms of religion, that this is it gets back to in Christianity, for example, it's like the the Ten Commandments are the truth, you know. So doing the right thing is aligning with thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt, these types of things. That logic is do, doing things based on the principle is the right thing. And, and my argument is we should look at the consequences. It's not just doing these things, but doing these things, um, do they lead to the consequences that are fair and just uh, for everyone? So it's not just the principle. It's the principle and the consequences. Yeah, I, that, I think that's really insightful. That's when I used to be in a pulpit every Sunday and, and would preach on the Ten Commandments. I would of, often juxtapose, juxtapose the Ten Commandments with the Sermon on the Mount um, in a lot of ways because, because it's a consequence-based sort of um, teaching. You know, that the Ten Commandments existed not because— Israel needed a legalistic system. It, the, the Ten Commandments existed because that's the way community works together. <laughs> you know, um, and so it should be. You know, it shouldn't take a decree from the divine to tell us not to kill each other, not to steal from each other. You know, right. that should be instinctive for us. Um, it's it's guidance, but it's like uh, you know. I, maybe I talked about this in the last episode because it's it all sort of runs together. But it's you know in in um, Plato's uh, Republic, you know he, you know he's he's basically um, you know confronted with this problem of doing the right thing, and he says, you you say uh, it's always right to tell the truth and to give back something that you borrow, but suppose you borrow a weapon from somebody and he goes mad, do you give it back to him? And do you tell them the truth about, you know, why you're not giving it back to them? And so this, you know, Plato sets up this dilemma. I mean, if you're only focused on principle, it's never going to, you're always going to get tied in a knot Mm. because you you can't, you know, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, but suppose my daughter is starving. Well, you know, and the only way, you know, thou shalt not kill. But suppose somebody's coming at your wife and they're attacking with a knife, you know, there's there's always these the consequences uh, that should be considered. Man, that's so good because you hear you hear the crazy stories of. Um, I remember there was a story of a of a mom that, um, I think she did she drive the car her car off the cliff with her kids in it, and I and I, I think somehow she survived or I can't remember the full story, but it was well God told me to do that. And it's like, what? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's obviously extreme, but you have those uh, stories that are so tied up in principle that they miss the point of it, you know? Yeah, right. And police, this isn't, I mean, this is, you know, getting back uh, to the policing, the, the police follow the same thing. And in, in, in principle, we enforce the law. And, and there are these basic principles, and doing the right thing means 
following these principles, but never did they look at what are the consequences of following these principles. Are there racial disparities in arrest? Are there racial disparities in the system? Are we um, reproducing an unjust social order by doing the things that we do regularly? And the, the police would argue, well, we're doing the right thing because we're following the principle. But who's looking at the consequences? No, nobody, really. Well, there's there's that popular judge on, I see him on Facebook because I'm not hip enough to be on TikTok, um, that he's an older judge and he's always showing compassion and like, you know, he'll tell the person what the book says and what the sentence should be, but then he'll ask the person like, well, why, why were you doing this? And I think like one was this older gentleman was driving too fast or something and it like happened, I, I, I forget the story, but it happened to be like, you know, he was trying to get somewhere real fast because someone was sick or someone was hurt. Yeah. You know, and of course the judge still gave him a sentence, but it wasn't the book. It wasn't you did this, so you get this. It was, it was showing compassion and, and breaking that idea oh, of and understanding. Yeah, understand. Hundred percent. It's understanding too. I mean, it's you get you can be come. Your compassion is directly proportional to your understanding. The more you understand something or somebody the more compassionate you just naturally are. Oh, I get it. And now I understand why that happened. Yeah. That, that highlights to me too, the, the difference between um, retributive justice and restorative justice. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and and we've built a whole religion on retributive justice Burn that we them. believe in this God that's going <laughs> to, yeah. yeah. you know, send most people to eternal conscious torment for not holding the correct intellectual assent <laughs> about, whoever or whatever this God is rather than a picture of God that, you know, I, I tend to take the writer of first John seriously when he says God is love. And if that's true, you know, then retributive justice doesn't make any sense, but restorative <laughs> justice makes all the sense in the world. How do and, you know, for Brandon, for that example of that judge, right? Like, you know, are there social consequences? Certainly, there still are social consequences. But when you can get to the why the, behind the thing, then you can help that person become a better person, right? Um, and, and to get through this this piece of justice without punishment so much as restoration. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. And basically, as I talked to you in the last episode, the idea that um, strong relationships is actually what keeps keeps places safe. I mean, it, you know, sometimes I go into, when I teach a class in prison, I ask the question, what, what does punishment do to you? And we've, we've all lived, we've all lived in an era where, you know, punishment is like the, oh yeah, of course, if you do that, you should be punished. But what is punishment really? You know, most people get angry when they get punished. Most people don't like it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a form of power uh, over you. And, um, and I think it's, um, there's some natural, I guess there's some natural consequences, but the idea of punishing is something we just take for granted. It's the paradox, you know, our doxic belief is that punishment works. And then when we punish, we see things are worse. Now we have to explain it. So we have to make, well, God said, Punish. Yeah, we have yeah. to make up. We have to make up stuff. Yeah, I ran, and it's this. Go ahead, Brandon. Well, no, I mean, uh, I ran a non or not ran, but I, I 
was working for a nonprofit who we did drug addiction recovery, and it was more in that re, uh, you know catch them, catch the addict, punish them. That's what's going to fix them. And it it finally weighed on me. I'm like, I don't think this is right. You know, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do that. Um, and it was that same that same idea that that's what's going to fix them is catch them always. You know, in the lie or catch them in the 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 misdeed and then correct that and that's what's going to fix them and, and right yeah. and and you know when you're when you're in uh, you know we do classes in prison there's always people in there in prison who are um, will say that you know uh, if I were if I hadn't been caught I maybe I'd be dead by now or the you know this has really helped me or those sorts of things so there's they, they argue it, but then you also hear them say things like, I'm a convict, I'm a criminal, I deserve uh, what I got, I deserve to be punished and stuff like that. And to some degree, to some extent, that this is part of the narrative that the whole prison system um, encourages, that it's about the, the blame goes to the, the, the least powerful in the whole system. And, you know, in other words, the people who create the conditions for um, for drug abuse and for poverty and injustice and racial dis- discrimination, nobody's held accountable. But we'll go right to the least powerful person and punish them. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, again, this is all from a sociological perspective. This is all because uh, we, we would argue that the way things work is we never question it. Um, it, it just never comes up. It's that that escalating cycle of violence too, right? Because that's that's certainly a form of violence. That any any kind of retributive justice, you know, whether it's physical violence or emotional, mental, spiritual, you know, whatever right. it is. Um, and, and we we tend to think, you know, in our human brains that that violence is going to fix a problem. And like <laughs> we have all of our history to look back and say. That has never worked. It has never, ever, ever worked. And yet we continue to perpetrate that. Right. Right. It's, it's, again, it's a part of the, un, our unconscious. It's like, if you, you know, your, your parents um, spanked you every time you did something wrong. And then, you know, you would find yourself spanking your kids and you're telling them to spank their kids. These things, these lessons are passed on. We don't think about, do they really work? Does this, is this really a good thing to do? But when we become aware of it, that's that's the thing is uh, becoming aware of it. Then you can do something about it. Yeah, yeah. And it, and then to me that kind of cycles back to where we started with this this whole conversation about the you know the temple of truth. <clears throat> you know, we come in through these doors that teach us these the way things are, right? Um, and you know, and there's always you know, and we we've already kind of covered some of this ground, but there's always that level of fear that level of control, that level of manipulation that keeps us stuck in those cycles. Um, And yet there's still this invitation, you know, for lack of a better term, to something more and something deeper and something better. We were having a conversation, uh, my faith community meets online, and we were talking the other night about the, you know, the hyper individuality in American society right now. And we can, and, and I think it ties into these, cycles of violence and cycles of control narratives and all of that, <clears throat> that um, if if we could but realize that the best thing for us as individuals 
is for the thriving of our society, like the common good, right? Mm-hmm. If we could work for the common good rather than what we think is good for us as individuals, we would actually thrive more as individuals. <laughs> but we right. can't seem to get past yeah. that, you know. Yeah, yeah that, that's the struggle because it, it looks like um, it, it looks like serving yourself is that you know the self centeredness. If you could, if you could learn to serve others, you're actually serving yourself. You're making the place better, and you're better off because of it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's I. I always come back to the you know through the Jesus narrative. I always come back to the Sermon on the Mount for that because I think that's been so widely misinterpreted as Jesus is basically saying, "You thought the law was tough. I'm telling you, it's mm-hmm. even harder." <laughs> but what Jesus is really saying there is, stop dehumanizing one another. You know, recognize the inherent dignity in each other, pers- each other human around you. Live for what's best for other people, and you're going to see how much better your life gets if you can just do right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, that, this is a way when you go deeper into the temple, you realize that then then you bump into Buddhism, and you bump into Indra's net, and you bump into we're all part. You know, there's a, they're inter we're interconnected, and then. Physics is piece of, piece of that also, uh, you know. But in the outer rooms, these these uh, local interpretations that are just that are passed on to us um, are just really uh, misguided, honestly. Yeah. Now, for the listener, can you explain Indra's net? Because I found this very fascinating when when you first explained it to me. Yeah, Indra was a uh, Hindu god, the chief god, who had a net that stretched to infinity in all directions. And at the, at the, the interconnections of the, this net was a jewel. And in, inside of each jewel, you could see all the other jewels. So it's so, sort of the image of the one is in the all and all is in the one. And uh, so the idea that... Um, Joe Webb and Jim Nolan and Brandon Wood all have everything in the universe contained in them. And they're also a member of the universe. That's all. They're both are correct. Mm. Yeah. I remember after you and I discussed years ago, actually, I can say that. I think it was like 2017, maybe. Maybe no, 2018. Um, And you were talking about the, oh, I'm blanking on it. The something of the one. So it, it was somehow you were saying it and that showing that we were all connected and um, it impacted me so much. I, I, I was, I gave a message in the, the service or the, the sanctuary, the adult service and um, talking about that and showing how we're all connected. And I shared about a story where a company was dumping chemicals into a river. And I think it was a, a town in West Virginia, um, if I remember correctly. And um, there was all these uh, kids being born with deformities. And the company is still, I think they might have had to settle out of court, but I don't think they ever, you know, claimed or took the blame for it, all this stuff. And I was, I was talking about how this is a great example of how your one action affects the, the, the whole. And mm-hmm. um, I remember it didn't go over well because I mentioned the company and someone knew someone worked at the company and was like, they were never, it's not their fault. You know, all this stuff. And I was like, my bad. You missed the whole point of what I was trying to say. Cause I mentioned the company and uh, you know, but uh, anyways, I remember that being very impactful because I grew up in a, obviously a faith system where it was, it wasn't about the whole, and it was about just escaping this world to go to heaven. 
and trying to take as many people with us, you know, but it wasn't about our neighbor who's suffering or, or the racial injustice or the person who can't, um, you know, get enough to eat, you know, and, and this idea of personal hell, we were just so conf- so worried about escaping eternal uh, damnation that we were missing people's hells right now. And mm-hmm. um, that was very impactful for me as I was, as I was deconstructing. Yeah, I think that um, for me, like, you know, I struggle with this a little bit because uh, we have terms like altruism. We say, well, this is a very altruistic person. He, you know, they serve others. But the, the idea is whether by serving others, they're really serving themselves. So I wonder if altruism is even, um, you know, a, a category that we should, or a, a characteristic we should strive for. We're, we're just all you know, part of the, part of the same whole and, uh, helping, helping each other. I mean, here, here's another example of, uh, so Indrusnet says that we're, we're part of, uh, we're all connected in, in some way, but, and there's also the idea that, you know, there, the boundaries that we create, like there was, Descartes talked about the mind and the body were separate. So, but we know now that the mind and body are all part of the same whole and here you're looking at me on zoom and so i'm in your consciousness you know so i'm i'm in one sense i'm 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 part of you and you're part of me just in our consciousness and we're all we're all sharing the same uh, physical atmosphere you know we're breathing the same air and sharing the same atoms but we're also there's a social atmosphere like if i if you know you and I are, uh, if I'm trying to catch you doing something wrong, and you know that I'm trying to catch you. You're going to be on guard. So I'm creating an atmosphere where you're affected by it. Your 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 body struggles and suffers because of the atmosphere, the social atmosphere that we create. So it's th- these connections are like, and you know, it just every every ordinary connection that you have. Um, you know, if, if you if you allow yourself to think about how we're connected to each other, it's actually you know, people like Karl Marx would you know they, they argue that you know it all starts with the economy. If you have a capitalist economy, then you know your individual wealth is important. That means the laws for the personal property are necessary. It means that you know you need a an, an individual God that you can uh, you can find your own salvation. And so, you know, the economic system sets up a logic that produces laws and religions and these types of things all stemming from, uh, you know, the economic system. That's a great point. Yeah. This this whole idea of interconnectedness, too, just this is I've been focusing a lot of my thought on this lately. Um there's physics has this term and I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting in the baby pool of physics, but it's it's the idea of quantum entanglement. Right. And it's the idea that a particle that two related particles that are physically separated by great distances still react to one another. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the oversimplified way of talking about that is like the butterfly effect. You know, if Mm -hmm. a butterfly flaps its wings in Hawaii, does it cause, you know, a hurricane in the Atlantic, you know, a hundred years later or whatever. But, but there is like, we're starting to see that even in science, it's not just a spiritual or philosophical idea. There is, there is some scientific, you know, evidence that these things are real. And then, you know, that kind of brings me back to that idea of, of 
the oneness of God and us, you know, or the divine, however we want to phrase that, that, you know, if we can kind of go back to that, to the assumption that God is love and that is like, that's still an assumption that you have to make. Um, we don't really necessarily have scientific proof of that, but if God is love and if God is present in all things, you know, then it, it follows that love is the creative force of the cosmos. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and if these particles can react to one another and, and if we can kind of go to that extent to say, is, is that somehow connected to love, not just Eros love and not just, Philios love, you know, and not just agape, but, you know, to, to use the Greek terms for love. But if love is that kind of energy, right, that can drive, creatively drive existence, that that's a game changer if we could adopt that as, mm -hmm. as individuals and as societies. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> we're, we're getting into the deep thoughts part of the Accidental yeah, Tomatoes yeah. podcast I, now. That, I, I have to the, admit. The build a campfire and open a bottle of whiskey I, I part of the my podcast coffee, has begun. My coffee's almost <laughs> gone, and my brain is like, I need coffee to process. It's so good, but it's so deep. And this is stuff that, like, when you're in that – I, I don't want to use loose terms, but, like, when you're in a superficial – religion and you're only thinking about the black and whites the do's and the don'ts go to church every sunday every wednesday and like you're missing the whole point these are things these this conversation is stuff that you know it's just needs that needs to take place but like you said jim people are comfortable in, in that in those rooms and um you know hopefully one day they'll start moving forward and and, and processing more but yeah, these these conversations are so good to have. I wanted to just make sure and I'd say something about some of the organized religion in you know the Fairmont area, because you know this is where I sort of this is where I live and I experience these types of things. There's a conservative uh, minister, and he you know he's involved with like uh, programs like the Will Graham uh, affair that's coming to Fairmont uh, under the name of love, but. They speak out against same-sex relations, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know they advocate for things like conversion therapy, and these are very harmful things. And um, and so, but the but the same types of people, um, you know, also berate for their own purposes, I believe, uh, other other religions like the uh, Islam and uh, Judaism, and you know, of course, Buddhism and anything else that seems strange to them. And so this, this minister went on, a, went on a tear against uh, Muslims, said, calling them all terrorists and that sort of thing. So I, I was sort of dissatisfied with this. And so I wrote, a, um, I wrote a piece for the local paper, the family paper called the Apostates Creed. And again, this may, I hope this is not offensive to people because um, calling myself an apostate uh, might seem offensive. But uh, I don't mean it that way. Can I read it? Yeah, yeah I yeah. was actually going to, I was trying to segue to get you to read it. I did not realize, now for the listener, I've got the hears before and it's amazing. So just drum rolls before you do it. I didn't realize this was in response to that. So this, that's fascinating to me that you really. Yeah, I think uh, an early version, uh, you heard an early version, but then um, I modified it for this particular uh, okay. occasion. Because wasn't the early version. It, it, correct me. I thought I, I thought this was written because you wanted to. The church was going to have you get up and and make and and read the Apostles' <laughs> Creed, 
And you're like, I just can't do that. Like I, there's yeah. stuff in that, that I don't sit well with. Well, I can, yeah. I can, I can claim this kind of thing. So yeah, right, yeah. Right. it was, it, that, that, that's exactly right. Nice. I mean, there, it was, I wanted to, I wanted to be part of a community and the community that was in front of me a spiritual community was a religious community that said that I had the, I had to do the, the, the apostles creed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, if I could say the apostates creed, I'd be in a bunch much better place, but anyway. Then, but then, you? then this happened, and I re I revised oh, it okay. for this for this particular purpose. So, the, so then I <clears throat> here it is. The uh, the paradox of organized religion is the claim of love and acceptance while defining and maligning the evil other. In the worst cases, charismatic leaders proclaim the will of God in their attacks on those who differ from their own. Drawing from totalitarian strategies of propaganda and fear, these ministers lead uncritical congregations in gross misuse of scripture for the sake of power and control. Their unified followers unreflectively recite religious creeds extolling faith as the highest good. Faith keeps us from thinking new thoughts, gaining fresh insights, and challenging the fallacies in the given religious narrative. Reluctantly, I've become an apostate of organized religion. Now free to interpret scriptures and sutras in new ways, they've written a new creed, an apostate's creed, which follows. I believe in the God principle that is manifest in everything and in the changing forms. I believe this God principle is not a being. It's not male, female, or human-like. It does not choose certain people as favored over others, desire worship, seek revenge, or desire to be saved. I believe that religious faith is a superhuman. I believe that religious faith in a superhuman God-man is offered in place of a God principle because it has psychological and political benefits. It is dangerous, deceptive, exploitative, and it perpetuates human suffering. I believe that this uh, sacred interconnectedness of all things, the king, kingdom of God, is in is here and now in the speck of dust, the mustard seed, and everything else. There's nothing that does not belong. There's nothing that's not sacred. I believe in. I believe that sacred scriptures and sutras are human efforts to become conscious of the God principle. With a clear and receptive mind, free of cultural narrative and concepts, this is possible and worth pursuing. I believe in the. I believe that the human mind creates the illusion of an independent self and soul. The one self in the many, and the many selves are in the one. I believe that uh, separate and opposing things such as light and darkness, good and evil, heaven and hell, love and hate, are actually aspects of the same whole. It is, therefore, impossible to eliminate a side. Only transformation is possible from one to the other. Likewise, I believe that no, I believe that no, I'm sorry. Likewise, I believe that birth and death are human illusions. There is no beginning and no end, only life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. <laughs> uh, it's, it was in the paper, so I can I can just send you the link to it or something like that. Oh, but. that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I love it. Yeah. I love and it is, and that's that's so clearly represents that thinking of going from the outer rooms to the inner room, right? Yeah. Well, that it doesn't reject what's in the outer rooms; it only transforms what's in the outer rooms. Yes, exactly. into something deeper and more 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 whole, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, even in the scriptures, like, uh, I think in one of the Gospels, you probably know this uh, better than I do, Joe, I'm sure, that um, Jesus said we'll always have poverty. 
it's something along those lines. And and the, you know, the idea is like, why would there have to be, can't you eliminate poverty? But the, but the you know, in this, what this is saying is like, they come together, poverty and well-being and, and uh, those sorts of things. So it's not eliminating one that is necessary. It's how to transform it. And I think that's what Jesus' message was. I mean, how do I how do I work with people to transform their suffering? The leper transform the leper, transform uh, people who are dead to a you know a particular world. How do I make this transformation possible? Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, you know that that particular passage so often gets used as kind of our lazy excuse for not you know, transforming uh, systems that create poverty. And, you know, so people just say, well, you know, Jesus said the poor will always be with us. And And I think what Jesus is trying to point out is there's an alternative to that, right? Um, But it's, I'm not going to wave a magic wand and make it go away. It's up to you to create more just systems and structures, right? That transforms poverty, not eliminate it, you know? And if you interpret it that way, then you also, then you, you bring in other, you bring in sociology and psychology and evolution and biology and physics and, and, and Buddhism and other religions. If you interpret it that way, if you keep it the, the original way, the way that most people learn it, it it's, uh, it's, it's a standalone act of faith. And that's what I reject. When I say I reject faith, I, re- I reject faith as a way of knowing because you know, I, I can trust that something's going to uh, is going to be true, but just to have blind faith and a lot of religious faith is just—I uh, think it's a form of oppression. I think it's a form of harm. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That, you could preach that yeah. all day long, man. <laughs> and that's a, that's a great example to me. Like the light bulbs went off. Joe and I got to uh, interview Amy Joe Hutchinson, um, and she kind of blew up on YouTube a couple of years ago. Is that right, Joe? Um, but, no, I think it was like l- was it? late 2019 or, or early it? 2020. Okay. Yeah. And um, it was just before the pandemic, I think. And she was so. talking to Congress, right, about about poverty. And, and obviously, like, I worked with that population, so I knew the struggle. But, you know, the example she gave is someone, you know, like I, I said a joke, um, Joe, you were talking a second ago, like about the poor. Well, if they would just try harder, right? You know that. Oh, that's right. Gonna, yeah. Right. But you know, the, they get a job, which obviously we know minimum wage jobs, minimum wage jobs don't sustain. But then once they get above a certain income level, they lose all their benefits. And I think Amy Joe on that YouTube video talked about she had two daughters that were, or not her, but the example was two daughters were get, went out and got jobs. That then the mom, because they were still in the same household, the mom lost the benefits, even though the mom was working two jobs, you know, that like that they had to quit their jobs because it was better. It, it was, you know, they lost all these benefits. So how do you tell someone, you know, well, just try harder or this faith system? And Jim, what you just said was like the light bulbs went off. Yeah, if if you believe there's ways and we can reform this, then you you are taking other doors or other rooms and you're you're going deeper. And you are talking about social justice and social, like all these reforms, economic reform and, and faith. And that's, man, that was a great example. Yeah. And so much of, um, so, so much of Christianity, modern Christianity 
is so focused on that idea of orth- orthodoxy, right? Right belief, yeah. think the right thoughts, right? Where I think what Jesus is more interested in, if you're going to come at it from the Christian narrative, is orthopraxy, right? How do you do the right things to create a more just society? And then, and that comes back to that whole thing we talked about a few minutes ago about that's how it gets better for all of us, right? Um, right. It doesn't get better for all of us just because I think the right thoughts. It only gets better when I start to do the right thing. Nine percent. Yeah, I, I think in you know in my work, I, I mentioned on the other program is that a lot of times you have to change the when you, if you can change the, the structures that our ideas about uh, they they inform our ideas. So if if we keep a hierarchical society, like um, in my um, I know a person. I'm not going to identify who this person is. But she's, you know, uh, was married in the 50s and, you know, was uh, uh, was married to a military person and said that women should not be doctors and women should not be pilots and because they weren't, <laughs> you know, in that, ex- in that experience. So the, the social structure was such, but the ideas came as being part of the social structure. So I, I feel like if we change the structure, create more equitable systems, then our ideas about other people and our ideas about poverty and how to transform poverty, they'll also change. Man, so good. Yeah. That's, you know, I think maybe some of that started to happen for our generation with the civil rights movement, which seems like it's been set back pretty significantly the last few years. But I do think some of those systemic changes were beginning like the the roots of them. Now it's been, I think it's been horribly stalled. Um, but it seems like ultimately, like, like I still believe the quote that's often attributed to Dr. King, you know, that the, the, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. I still believe that's true, but I guess maybe the older I get, the more I realize what a damn slow process that is. <laughs> um, and, and how many people continue to be harmed by our lack of ability to, to live into to some of those more just systems and structures. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Jesus' message, it can happen right now. I mean, we we can, you know, if we, maybe it takes a mental, uh, he was trying to make, I think, a mental um, transformation that, look, we can help the leper. We can bring the leper into society. We can create a just world and we can end suffering. It's a sort of an immediate eschatology. Like I, I, you know, here, here is the end of suffering, and a new world. We can create a new, a new world. Yeah, I, I think that's what Paul says, or whoever wrote, you know, for in Paul's name, when when he talks about, you know, putting on the mind of Christ. You know, so often again, we've watered that down to, you know, a belief system. But I think what what the writer was advocating for was exactly what you just said. You know. Mm-hmm. To to change your thoughts, to change your mind, so that you can take better actions in the world, you know. To to you know believe that this is true, right? That the world can be a better place, a more just place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you know whatever language you want to use for that, the kingdom of God, the beloved community, um, the kingdom of heaven. You know, in, in some of the gospel writers' language, mm-hmm. um, that's it. Only happens when we change our minds about the assumptions that we've been making. Yeah. Right. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> Man, my my brain 
I might have hit my max. <laughs> like I, I'm just like it's not that I hit my max. It's just it's like there's just so much to just to sit in and and to to think about and to process more and yeah. I, I think part of part of our um, problem. I know we're we're nearing the end, but I wanted to say something about the human mind. Yeah. And uh, and the way it works. And you know we we talk we. Joe brought up, you know, consciousness that we we're, we're conscious of things, but you know we're also fooled by our consciousness. We interpret the world a particular way, and you know, when uh, Copernicus uh, nearly 500 year, years ago said that the it's maybe the planets and the sun are not actually rising and moving, but it's actually the Earth spinning. People would say, no, that's that's you know, the Earth is the center of the universe. So it's just you know, human mind uh, works a particular way. And uh, is it okay to go into this with um, about the uh, the immigrants coming to? Oh yeah. Okay. So um, what happened was uh, a few years ago under the Trump administration, there were there was uh, some policy about uh, only immigrants that could prove that their ability to never go on welfare could could come, and the the. Uh, one of the administration, somebody in the administration was suggesting that they change the poem uh, at the Statue of Liberty uh, regarding the immigrants. So uh, I wrote this poem with this this particular thing in mind. It's called Humanity's Curse. And it's, I'm asking you to imagine that the ocean has a human mind and the sun has a, uh, these are, this is a dialogue. Anyway, uh, one day ocean awoke with a human mind. A gift, she thought, to know thyself from other. She saw sun and moon out there, so beautiful a find. Blue sky appeared as her twin brother. The truth was concealed until rain and clouds appeared. They chilled her surface and blocked her view. These annoying others, she despised and feared. Sadly, ocean hated some others, and she loved just a few. Having a unity mind, Sun was very confused how ocean could hate beloved clouds and rain. We make them together, our whole self interfused. Sun searched and discovered the source of disdain. The human mind creates boundaries that don't really exist. The whole self becomes fragments that widely disperse. Now Sun could see what ocean had missed. The gift she received was bound with a curse. One, one day, this gets to the other piece of it. One day, man awoke with a human mind. A gift, he thought, to know thyself from other. He saw entrepreneur and there, out there so beautiful and kind. Capitalist appeared as his twin brother. The truth concealed until immigrant appeared. They scared his family and blocked their view. These annoying others need public help, he feared. Sadly, man hated most others, and he loved just a few. With a unity mind, woman was very confused how man could hate those seeking refuge from pain. We are all human together, our whole self interfused. Woman searched and discovered the source of disdain. The human mind creates boundaries that don't really exist. The whole self becomes fragments that widely disperse. Now woman could see what man clearly had missed. The gift he received was humanity's curse. Ooh. 
Oh, so money good. snaps. That's such good stuff. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> it's, awesome. so, it's the the way that the way that poetry and music can draw out thoughts and feelings that just you know narrative and prose can't necessarily do. Um, that that's just such a great reminder of how it it can open our eyes to see things in new ways. So mm -hmm. thanks. yeah, thanks for sharing that. For sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I think we are um, kind of coming to the to the end of our time here. Um, it's been another fascinating conversation, Jim. I can't wait. Uh, someday we have to get together in person and um, <laughs> talk about this, you know, other than just on Zoom and, and recording for a podcast. But um, I really appreciate, you know, all of the all of the deep thoughts you've shared and and you've made it what what I think uh, ho hopefully um, our audience is going to appreciate is you've taken some pretty complex thinking and made it very accessible. Um, and, and I think I, I really appreciate that. I think that's one of the barriers that we run up against sometimes is sometimes these ideas just seem so nuanced and so, um, you know, just kind of beyond our ability to understand that it takes somebody like you that can interpret these more difficult, more complex, more nuanced thoughts in a way that folks can say, oh, okay, you know, this, this diagram of a temple is a way for me to imagine how do I you know, walk into deeper levels of truth and deeper levels of understanding. So helpful. So helpful. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a part, Jim. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Anytime. And we'll have to have uh, coffee at the coffee shop. So we'll let you know when we're going to meet down. I'll, I, I can be in Fairmont in an hour and a half. We can definitely do that. So <laughs> okay. make a day out of <laughs> All right. Thanks again for being part of the podcast, Jim. We appreciate okay. you. And, and I'm sure we'll come up with an excuse to have you back again. Sometime. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank I'll see you guys later. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. See, I told you, Joe, <laughs> my mind. I know, right? I, we need a sound effect of. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I realized a couple times as we were having that conversation that, <laughs> that I, I kind of repeated a few things that, that we had said the first time around. And I, you know, we, we did spread those interviews out by a couple of weeks. Um, but it's just, it's all, like I said, at the, in the intro, like it's, it's so deep and it, it just kind of requires us to pause and kind of rethink some of our existing paradigms. Um, and, and I think, you know, for, for folks like us and for, I know a lot of the folks in our audience who are walking through some kind of deconstruction, reconstruction process, like for me, everything Jim said was just so helpful um, in helping to navigate some of that journey. Yeah. I mean, I find myself and I mean, he gave me language, I guess, I guess is the better way to say it, but I found myself like trying to go past the principles I was taught and saying, what is the more like universal principle? Like Christianity defines it a certain way, but there seems to be some of those, those, those truths in the universe that other religions have that maybe their definition is a little different. They call it something different, but they, they're all the same. And he did a really good job with his temple of truth uh, diagram of like, of showing that, right? Like no matter what door you come into, the point is to go past that into, you know, deeper truth. So, um, yeah. And, and, and we'll, um, we'll have a, we'll have a, an image of that diagram, um, on, on the website, uh, for this, for the, the episode page, um, for, for this episode. So that if you, if you want to look at that temple of truth diagram that Jim came up with, the, the thing I loved about that was the idea that, that it's not rejecting, you know, your, your previous experience is just going deeper. It's just going through that 
you know, and so you get you get more meaning from what you had rather than having to kind of throw away the baby with the bathwater um, to get there. So, well, as always, if you're um, if you're interested in all of this content that we are creating and curating for um, our Accidental Tomatoes community, you can find us online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And if you want to join us on social media, you can find us uh, on Facebook and Instagram and uh, and and Twitter uh, at Accidental Tomatoes. We have TikTok yet? Are we are we nope. TikToking? <laughs> <laughs> we're not TikTok. if you have any ideas or suggestions for future <laughs> podcast topics love to hear from you you can find us and contact us through our website message us on social media or send us an email at at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com and if you enjoy our podcast please be sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast that will help other people find us and connect with our community and participate in the conversation and as always, if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us to offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. <laughs>